We're going to be reading Hebrews 13 and 8 in just a moment, but uh, for a little context, Hebrews chapter 13 leading up to verse 8 speaks predominantly about our relationships with others in our lives. It encourages us to let brotherly love continue. That's a really interesting statement. It's, it's not hard to have brotherly love when we're first born again. The challenge is to let it continue. And that's the Apostle Paul writes to us that we ought to let or we need to allow brotherly love to continue. And it says we need to be kind and hospitable to, to strangers. We spoke about that, I think, last Sunday night. It's not just random people, but it is people that we don't know, but particularly that we don't know in the kingdom of God. We are to not forget our brethren. And Paul was obviously talking about in his context, but he, he said don't forget those that are in prison for the gospel's sake. He reminded us that marriage is honorable before God. Contrary to what the world says, marriage is honorable before God and God judges those who have been unfaithful and immoral. He tells us that we should not be covetous of what our brothers or sisters have, but that we should be content that God will take care of us. Amen. He then tells us to remember those who are in authority over us and that we are to follow their example. And then Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. And that is my message title this morning is simply yesterday, today and forever. Amen. As believers, when you walk with God, all of God's Word is inspired. We understand that. We, we know that none of it is, is wasted, none of it is padding or filling, but every word that we have, we trust, is the anointed, inspired Word of God, and yet there are verses that we learn on our journey with the Lord that we hang on to. There are promises that we, we, we seem to be, we go to them. You know, when we're in a time of need or a time of struggle and and uh, when we're having trouble dealing with a situation, we, we, we read a verse earlier today about how all things work together. That's a verse that, that, gets, that gets used a lot. There are Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 talks about how I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And that's, that's talking about endurance. It's talking about making it unto the end. And these are some of the verses that we keep close by when we need them. And this verse is one of those verses that we hang on to, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We, we, we hold on to that verse when we're in a season of uncertainty, when we are facing challenges that can cause us to feel threatened or even fearful. We know we shouldn't be fearful, but sometimes we are, if we're honest. And we hang on to verses like this, that Jesus doesn't change. Amen. That Jesus is with us today, just as he has always been that we serve a faithful God. Amen. Amen. In a world full of constant shifting and changing, with advancing technology but regressing morals, we have a God that doesn't change. In a world that is, you know, if this world rather was worried less about global warming and more about the excessive abandonment of morals and virtues, our society might not be in such a perilous condition. They seem to be very concerned with melting ice caps and rising ocean temperatures and how that's going to affect our children's children. But 
Our children's children are going to suffer much more from the promotion of immorality, from the dismantling of the family unit, from the erasing of truth and the philosophy of doing whatever you happen to feel like doing than they will from a warming ocean. And I'm not dismissing our environment, but the wickedness footprint of humanity is of a far greater concern than their carbon footprint. <laughs> Amen. Mankind has most definitely abused the environment. There is no question about that. But they have abused the image of their creation so much more. So much more. And as we observe all of this going on around about us and the legislation that governments are passing without even an eyebrow being raised, that brings more and more challenges against the church and the need to stand for righteousness and the need to say there is a way that God would have us to live. It is good to be reminded that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. That consistency, that unwavering, I am the Lord, I change not, gives us hope. It gives us confidence. Amen. And it's good to be able to hang on to the promises of God's Word. It's, I'm sure that when the Apostle Paul and those like him were locked in the depths of prison, not knowing if they were going to survive the night, that they had things they held on to, promises that they held on to. They were writing, they were living the words that we read in our New Testament, but they had the promises of God from the Old Testament that they hang on to because He is the same God. When the Scripture says that Jesus is the same, He's talking about Old Testament God, New Testament God, same God. Amen. But at the same time, verses like this remind us that the Lord's laws, His systems, his terms of relationship and interaction with humanity also do not change. We either align ourselves with Jesus and his word or we don't. We cannot wait for an update to be available or a revised version that is edited so that it's palatable to the sensitivities of mankind. You know, we can't well, let's wait for the next edition to be released. Contrary to people's desire, God is not watching us, observing our tastes and preferences so that he can modify his expectations accordingly. He does not change, is what the scripture says, and that means in any way, not just in the ways that we like. You see, the laws of the land change with the trends and the philosophies of our society. There are things that are legal today that 50 years ago nobody would have ever imagined would be allowed to be legal. There are things that are happening and acceptable in our society in 2022 that 50 years ago, even the ungodly would have said never. They would have said, no, that will never happen in our world. That will never happen in our society. People simply wouldn't do that because it's not common sense. Well, common sense is becoming like a precious metal, very rare and hard to find in the world in which we live. But not so with the laws of God. They don't change. He's not looking down and thinking, well, that's going to hurt their feelings, so I'll modify that passage. Or, you know, the world's changed. People are different now. We're more intelligent. We're more developed. So I'll adjust some of my very simplistic rules, some of those things that seem to be very rigid, rigid and unmoving. I'll change some of those. God's laws don't change. 
His promises don't change. He does not seek nor is he interested in our approval, which in this world is quite offensive. But he does not particularly care what we think. I'll give you a very simple example of that. The, the, the scriptures teach us about tithing. And, and this is not what my lesson's about, but you know, there, there are people that you hear about that don't attend church, that don't even particularly live godly lives who tithe. And because it's in the word of God, God blesses them. He blesses their finances. Now, they're not saved. They're not necessarily ready to go to heaven, but it's a promise of God. And God honors his word. Amen. I've seen the reverse situation be just as true. I've seen people who attend church that are born again who choose not to tithe and miss out on the blessing. You see, it's the word of God. He doesn't change. He said, this is where it's at. Here is my word. There's no updates. There's no new versions. There's no, you know, God's word 2.1 or whatever coming out. doesn't work like that. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Hebrews could have simply said that Jesus Christ is always the same. Could have just said that. Would have been the same thing. But God's word is for our benefit. There's a reason it says yesterday today and forever we have to understand that jesus was in our yesterday we talked about that a little bit before with predestination and foreknowledge but jesus was there when you didn't know him jesus was there when you rejected him jesus was there when we were up to our chins in sin he was there amen the first corinthians 6 19 to 20 says this what Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you and ye have of God and you are not your own? I'm glad to be a temple of the Lord, but I have to accept that that when he filled me with his spirit, I don't belong to myself anymore. Verse 20 says, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. We belong to him. I read just recently, I think it's a very powerful statement it talks about being the temples of god and talks about glorifying him in our body and our spirit so inside and out somebody said that holiness is the harmonization by the spirit of god of the internal and the external that's what holiness is it's god working on us completely inside and out amen so when we are born again and i I shared some of these things the men's camp in Melbourne in October, when we are born again, we often only think about that from a looking ahead perspective. I've been saved, I'm going to heaven. And there's nothing wrong with that, amen? That's that's what it's about. It's about being saved. But Scripture says that we are not our own, that he paid for us. And when we usually think about that price or the price of redemption, we think of it about paying for our sins, which the Lord did. But if Jesus paid a price for us and we belong to him, then all of what I am and all of who you are belongs to him. Not just my life moving forward, but also the pathway that brought me here. God owns our past. He owns our past. He didn't say, I bought you from such and such a date moving forward. He paid for us. Every heartache Every bad choice, every abuse, every pain, if I belong to him, then all of my life belongs to him. You know, we, we sing songs about giving him our all. It's not just about today and tomorrow. It includes yesterday. It includes yesterday. 
And when Jesus paid the price for you and I, he knew exactly what he was buying. He didn't get any surprises. When you and I purchase something that has a past, for example, a house or a car, sometimes we get things that we didn't know we were buying. Amen? A person who's selling that house or car, you know, if you go to somebody's place and there's a second-hand car in the driver, it's washed, usually it's vacuumed, it's clean, they don't say, here's a list of all the things that are wrong with it. They're doing everything they can to distract you from the things that are wrong with it, to try to get as much money out of you as possible. They'll try to conceal it. It's only after you've lived in that house for a little while or driven that car, you find out there were some things that weren't in the ad. You know, in the house, you know, real estate ads. Real estate agents are borderline liars with their creativity. They say things like, it's a real fixer-upper, which means it's about to collapse. (laughs) <laughs> if you don't fix it, then it's probably going to fall in the, in the ground. You know, you know, or they'll sell a car and say, perfect for a first car, which means, again, it doesn't matter if your teenager writes it off because it's not going to last very long anyway. It's creative language. You find out about oil leaks. You find out about air conditions that don't work in summer. You wonder what that clunk is in the engine every time you go around a corner. You bought that house and you move in and the plumbing floods the kitchen when you use the dishwasher. The oven burns things at the back and they're raw at the front. First time it rains, your backyard's like a swimming pool because your neighbor's houses are all two feet higher than yours and everything drains into your yard. Many of us have had those experiences. Amen? Well, I got my driver's license. Some of you know this story, but you get to hear it again because you are blessed. But when I got my driver's license at 17, my first car was my parents' car. I bought my mum and dad's car off them. It was a ninth, I don't know what, actually I was going to say, I don't know what year it was. I bought it in somewhere around about 89. I don't know what year the car was, but it was an old white Mazda 808 station wagon. And it was a great car. It was cheap to run. It was very reliable. Uh, It was a great first car. Um, But something about that car, because it was a little bit older, when it rained, it had rusted a little bit around the windscreen. And so when it rained, the rain would come in the car through those leaks. Now, that car wasn't so much a problem. It had vinyl seats. Nothing was getting saturated. It was okay. But after a while, after I drove that car, I drove that car for probably five, six years, maybe at least five years, decided that, you know, I needed to get a loan because that's what you do when you're young and silly. And I wanted another car. So I I bought another car. It was a 1985 Silver Magna. And anybody that knows anything about cars was going, silly man. That was the car my wife and I drove here when we moved to Perth in 1997. I drove that car across the Nullarbor. But when I bought that car, I was so excited. Because I went to work. I worked the night shift and it poured with rain. It poured with rain like it does in the tropics. It just all night long. And I was so happy working away. My car's dry. My car's dry. I finished my shift, went out to the car park, opened the driver's door, and the seats were saturated. It leaked worse than the old car did. Now, when I went to buy the car, I tried to be responsible. I said to the lady, can I take it to my mechanic, have my mechanic look at it? And she said, sure. She let me take the car overnight so I could see my mechanic. But at the time, I didn't think about it at the time, but she said, we'd prefer you kept it undercover if you could. 
Now, I thought she was just wanted to look after the car. Turns out there was a reason she wanted to keep the car undercover. I bought something that I didn't know I was buying. I ended up with a, cost me another couple of thousand dollars to have the windscreen and the legs fixed in the new car. Amen. You know, you may have seen online or in media these people that will buy storage units that nobody claims. You know, you, you bid on some random storage unit. Nobody's claimed what's in it. And sometimes they'll do a video as they open the unit up and find out what treasures may or be not contained within the storage unit. Sometimes there's things valuable. Sometimes there's a reason nobody can has claimed the storage unit. It's just full of junk. Amen. But when God paid the price for my soul and for your soul, he knew every leak. He knew every broken part. He knew every single issue. And still he went through with the purchase. Still he considered us worth buying. Amen. That's one of the things that makes him so different from us. We, you may have read there are so many stories of people who've bought something at a second-hand shop or a, a garage sale or a junkyard that others have walked past, thought was worthless, and it's turned out to be incredibly valuable. And the difference is the person walking past knows how to identify something that is valuable, whereas the other person may not. And when God walked past you and I, many people have thought there is no hope for them. They are a lost cause. They have failed so many times. They cannot change themselves. But he saw treasure and he said, I will pay top dollar for that soul. Jeremiah 1 and 5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Romans 5 and 8 says that God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet on the junk pile of life, he died for us. Somebody, somebody put that verse like this, but God put his love on the line for us while we were of no use whatsoever to him. Jesus knew it was all there and laid his life down anyway. That's why he said he's the same yesterday. And just about today, he deals with yesterday as well. When we talk about God's laws that don't change, there's a very powerful law that's in the Word of God found in Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 7, says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing. What's the well-doing? Sowing to the Spirit. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Amen. I needed Jesus to redeem me. I needed Jesus to buy me back because I was born with a corrupt nature. I was born with sin ready to go from the beginning. That software was already installed. It just needed to be activated. It was there and it was ready to go. Amen. And you know, when farmers, farmers whose farms produce grain will often reserve some seed from the harvest so they can sow it again to produce next year's crop. And you know, that's sadly what we do when we live in sin. We reap the harvest of our actions and then we re-sow that back into our lives. 
That's what sin does. It continues to produce more sin. Sin never produces righteousness. Sin cannot produce godliness. It cannot produce holiness. And so in our unregenerated, unredeemed state, we sow, we reap, and we re-sow. And that pattern continues until the gospel interrupts the pattern. Amen. Amen. The cycle goes on and on. God's law does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You reap what you sow. Right now, today, you are reaping in your life what you sowed yesterday. Whatever that is, good or bad. And for most of us, there's probably a little bit of both. We are reaping today what we sowed yesterday. That's why sometimes there are still consequences of sin after we repent. Because we've already sowed the seed in our lives and then we repent. But there's still a harvest sometimes that has to be addressed. Sometimes God's mercy takes care of that. Sometimes we have to go through some junk because we put the seed in the ground in the first place. We read the parable in the Gospels that Jesus gave of the sower and the seed. We know there was only one kind of seed in that parable. It was good seed. But there were four kinds of ground, amen? Most of us know this, the stony ground, the wayside or like the pathway, the ground that was full of thorns and the good ground. And we understand that the ground represents us and the possible condition of our hearts, how we receive the word of God. I hope we also understand that you can choose what kind of ground you want to be. We do not believe in predestination in that sense, amen? We believe that you can choose to be good ground. And I hope that we all want to be good ground. I hope we all want to be fruitful in the kingdom of God. But I do think it's possible that we can make the false assumption, maybe subconsciously, that the good ground somehow exists in a perfect environment in a greenhouse and that it only ever produces good fruit. Never has a problem. It's good ground. Maybe a revelation to some of us, but the good ground still gets weeds. <laughs> Amen, somebody? The good ground still gets weeds. Amen. It does not matter. Even in the natural, if, you, if you're a gardener or someone who likes to maintain a nice lawn, it does not matter how carefully you prepare the soil. It does not matter how meticulous you may be. Birds fly over. You can fill in the blanks for what happens there. The wind blows. The weeds in the park somehow end up in the front yard. Seeds blow from one location to another. Unwanted seeds have a way of finding their way into your good ground. Amen. And for us, for our hearts, the main issue is not what comes from the outside, but from the inside. Our weeds, the, the ones that come that blow in, they're not the issue. They're the ones that are the ones that, anyhow. Paul said, Paul said in I think it's in Romans, it's not in my notes, but Paul said that he delighted in the law of God after the inward man. That's the good seed. He said, Lord, I love your word. I love what it can do in my heart. I love how it can change me. But then he said, But I find another law in me as well. There's something there that, Lord, it didn't come from your word. It was resonant within me. And so the, the, the lesson from Paul's ex- statements is that 
we must keep sowing the good seed. But we have to weed at the same time. Things spring up that we do not want to be there. And we would naturally like to blame somebody else, but most of those weeds come from us. They do. We have to work hard at not sowing the old life again. Because of our flawed human natures, those things still spring up. And if we're not careful, we can harvest that seed and put it back in the ground. We need to harvest that seed and burn that stuff. That's what we need to try to do with that. Don't replant it. Amen. That's it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. But Jesus paid for you and I. He paid for all of us. He paid for our past. But today, the same yesterday and today. Today is where we live. This is the active zone. This is where reaping and sowing are happening together at the same time. Right now, in the present. This, if you want to compare yourself to the Word of God, this is our book of Acts. This is where the church is living and breathing and happening. This is the present. Amen. This is where, if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap corruption. This is where, if we sow to the Spirit, we'll reap life everlasting. Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Lord doesn't change. Amen. Amen. In our today, in the present, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about this, but in the today, we are constantly sowing for two harvests. Two harvests. There's the crop of tomorrow, and there's the crop of forevermore. Amen. Tomorrow is between now and forevermore, however long that is going to be. Amen. There are some things that we may not reap, until we step from this life into eternity. I'll give you a simple example. You may have health issues. You may have problems in your body. Our bodies get older, our bodies break down. Amen. We sow the seed of the Word of God when we ask for prayer by faith because that's what the Word of God says. Amen. We believe God heals. We believe that miracles still happen. We're doing what God says to do. The Bible says if you're sick, call for the elders. We do what the Word of God says. Some of us receive healing and some do not. We always try to work it out, but God's not always going to give you the answer because sometimes it's in this window. Some of us will reap that harvest in the next life. Some of our broken bodies will not be healed. That's not a negative thing. That's a trust God by faith thing. And we will go into eternity and in that moment when He returns and these bodies are changed, we'll still receive the promise. And when we came to pray by faith and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I've got this ailment. Will you pray for me? I've got this problem. We pray by faith believing that God hears our prayers. And he will answer them. But whether it's in the present or it's in the forevermore is up to God. Amen. He's going to heal our bodies. He's going to change us. But it's up to him when that's going to happen. Amen. But today, today I am sowing for my tomorrow either deliberately, either intentionally, or by default. We're sowing something. Nobody is not sowing. I mean, some of us think we're not sowing, and some of us maybe should be sowing some more in particular directions. But we are, whatever we are sowing today is being reaped tomorrow. There's a couple of scriptures in Proverbs that might make us a little uncomfortable. Proverbs has a way of doing that. Proverbs 13 and 4 says, The soul of the sluggard. You know what a sluggard is? It's a sloth. It's a lazy person that's not hasn't got the motivation to get up and do anything. The writer of the proverb said, The soul 
of the sluggard desires but has nothing. They want the good stuff, but they're not doing much about it. They want to see the fruit of God's word, but they're not sowing. But then it says the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Those that actually sow will reap. The sluggard says, man, I'd like some of that, but it requires getting up and that's just too hot. Same sort of concept, Proverbs 20 and 4, the sluggard will not plow because it's too cold to get out of bed. Therefore, what's going to happen? They're going to beg at harvest time and they'll have nothing. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he shall reap. There's a principle in the word of God that is, if you don't work, you don't eat. And this is, you can drink, bring that parallel across spiritually. If we don't sow, we don't reap the goodness of God. We're not sowing the word of God. We can't expect to get the blessings of God. Amen. And in a very sobering fashion, if you have children, you are sowing into your children's tomorrow. As a parent, particularly of little kids, who are not in the capacity or the responsibility to make their own big life decisions yet, contrary to what this messed up world thinks. As parents, we are sowing into our children's tomorrows. The decisions we make on their behalf are sowing a crop that they will harvest. And even as they get older and they begin to make their own decisions, as parents, we are putting the seed in their hands through our influence, through our example. Through our teaching, we are, we are demonstrating this is what you should be doing. Amen. Whether, whether we're actually teaching them or whether they're just watching our example, we are showing them. We are sowing into their tomorrow. That's why it's so important that we have the Word of God front and center in our families. First Peter chapter 1 and 23 says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which lives and abides forever. Amen. We, the laws of God don't change. He's the same yesterday in my past. He's the same today in my present. And he's the same forevermore. Amen. He paid for my past. You, know, you, you can't go back and undo any of that. It's done. You know, people say, I have no regrets. You know, I get that concept, but it's not really accurate. There's nothing wrong with saying, I wish I had done some things better. That's okay. Paralyzing the present because of that is the mistake. If, if the things we regret we didn't do cause us not to do them now, that's a mistake. When we look at our past, if you've got regrets, you need to thank God for his mercy, thank him for his grace, thank him for his forgiveness, thank him that all of that is under the blood, and today sow the right seed. I cannot go back and unsow what I sowed in the past. But today I can say, Lord, what am I putting into the ground? What am I putting into my life? Because I want to reap something tomorrow. Amen. We teach our kids what to plant. We teach our kids what to tear up. Our kids need to know what is right and what is wrong. And parents, they will learn that more by our demonstration than our words. Your words matter, but your example matters most of all. Amen. I just want to encourage us this morning. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. And I'm glad for that because you know what it means? It means that when I wake up and I shake myself out of my foolishness, I know how to find him. He's in the same place. He doesn't relocate. I can always come back and say, Lord, 
I haven't been here for a while, Lord. Lord, what's in this book that I need to sow into my life? Where Give me some direction for my life, for my family, for my ministry, for my service, for wherever it may be, Lord. You can always come back and find him because he does not change. Let's stand together this morning. Let's lift our hands and